want you to turn your Bibles this morning, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, and this, uh, this passage is a little bit of a departure from Acts, but it really isn't. It's really the passage that is fulfilled in the book of Acts. I, I had considered putting part of this text in the sermon last week, and then I thought, no, I need to, I need to come back to this text. Because in light of our discussion last Sunday about this privilege, and I want to call it a burden, but I want to call it a burden that is like Jeremiah said, a fire shut up in my bones, I could not contain it. Uh, Because Jesus has, in commissioning us to share the good news, given us a task that is demanding, it's difficult, it cannot be done in the flesh, it will force you to trust in God if you're going to do it. If you're going to say, God, I see the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, I see also the great commission. Share the good news of Christ. Go into all the world. Make disciples of every nation. Bring them in. That if I'm going to get serious about fulfilling, or simply, can I say it this way, obeying what is our commission, then I need to get serious about my walk with God. If I'm not praying and in the Word daily, I can guarantee you something. I am not sharing my faith in Christ on a regular basis. You can be sure of this. And the more time you spend in God's Word reading, the more time you spend seeking the face of God for the, for the, the glory of God and the benefit of people around you, the more, if you pray about that, you will share your faith. You, this, this will become for you like a fire shut up in your bones that you, you can't shut up. Okay, You have to say something. Because you understand the ramifications. You understand eternity hangs in the balance. And, and there's part of me that wants to... I want to encourage you. That's why I'm going to this text today. But I don't, I don't want to let you escape the responsibility that comes to those that know the truth. That responsibility is to live in obedience to the Great Commission, which is God, through His Son Jesus Christ, has given us a glorious hope, a powerful message for fallen people. And He has commissioned us as His church to take that truth to the world in which we live. Here's where I want to push a little bit. I want to suggest, and I'm going to encourage you to think about it, because in your mind you may say, well, I don't buy that. I believe that if I am not sharing my faith in Christ, I can't say that I am living in obedience to God's directive. Okay, and I want that, just let that sink in. Can someone be an obedient Christian while they are silent in relationship to the Great Commission? Ask yourself that before God. Is my silence justifiable or is it in fact sinful? Think back. When's the last time that the privilege, not the I have to, but this privilege, when is the last time that the privilege of sharing Jesus settled on your life in a way that you said, you know what? God, give me opportunities. Give me opportunities to talk about the truth that we sing about on Sunday morning, but that I'm silent about during the week. And there's something in that that is, at some level, hypocritical. It's me putting on a mask on Sunday morning saying, I love this Jesus, but I don't share Him. That it's, it, it just doesn't work. We're given a great commandment. Love our neighbors. We're given a great commission. Share this Savior with others. And I give you these suggestions. I've given them a couple times because I want you to think about them. Why are we silent? And I think the only answer I can arrive at from the text of Scripture is we are intimidated by various things that hit us in our culture that cause us to fall silent about this while we talk about everything else. The good deal we get at the store, we talk to people. Something found on the internet, talk to people. Vacation, talk. Why? It's all about us. It's all about us. And the benefits that we're enjoying while sharing that with people that have never heard the truth. And at some point that has to hit us and say, God, help me. Help me to overcome the fear that is naturally occurring. Because in this text, in fact, in the Bible, 84 times it says this. Do not be afraid. The message translates it this way. Do not be intimidated into silence. Okay, why do we do it? 
Number one, we desire to be respected, approved, and applauded rather than truthful. Secondly, we make it the job of gifted professionals. Okay? We think that's something that pastors should do. But Jesus said it's something that all of us should do. I think another reason that was suggested to me this week by a friend was this. And this one cuts. Hypocrisy. Sin in my own life will always silence the message of the gospel. Always. Because you will feel an intense lack of power because the Spirit of God is restricted in your life because you have blockages between yourself and God and you know He will not hear you. I would suggest you just get it right. Get it right and join in the journey in the adventure of sharing Christ. The last one I would suggest to you is this, self-reliance. We think we need to do this in our own strength. I want to be very honest with you this morning and say this. I don't have enough strength to share the gospel. I don't have enough strength to see someone come to faith in Christ. And that's why we need to see this work from God as a cooperative effort and a cooperative task. And I also want to say this. My concern is not about how you share your faith. Okay, the means, the ways that God challenges you and gets you to get involved, inviting someone to church or just seeking to take them out to lunch and befriend them, but leading towards it. I'm not concerned about how we do it, but that we're doing it. Okay, that we sense some degree of responsibility from God because I think it's part of, part of what it is to be a Christian. So this text, I think, serves to give us help in, in seeking to share the good news of Jesus' love with people around us. In verse 16, Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. And if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, you find simply it's a commissioning of the disciples to go and share the good news. Here's what he says to them. After saying, I'm sending you this, 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 and this. Here's what he says. And this is not encouraging. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. And you're saying, well, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) You're like, what did he just say? He says, I am sending you out like sheep sheep amongst wolves. Is it possible that that's the reason that we struggle with being silent? That we understand that when we share the truth of Christ, it is a message that first wounds before it heals. And that wounding part is the part, we struggle with that. Alright, we struggle if somebody's got something on their teeth and they're talking to us. Alright, they need to get it right and we struggle with And then after five minutes, you're thinking, oh, I should have said something at the beginning, right? This whole time I've been talking, I didn't tell you about that. It's it's weird, isn't it? It's fear of man. It creeps up from all angles. We're afraid to point out that, hey, your isn't done right now. You need to turn around and go fix that. We wrestle with those kind of things, right? That's just human nature. We don't want to tell people this so that you will take care of this. And in sharing the gospel, it is ever-present. Verses 24, Jesus says this, A student is not above his teacher, nor is a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called, where does Beelzebub? If he's been called Satan, and an accomplice with Satan, that's what happened to Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. How much more the members of his household. If the master of the house, for the sake of the gospel, has endured ridicule, how much more will the members of the household experience the same thing? And we know that that's coming. We're warned about it. And what does it do? That fear of man causes us to drift into a silence that I think ultimately becomes an outright rejection for many of us of the Great Commission. We know it's there. Most of us have it memorized. You could start it and you could finish it. It's not the question, do you know it? The question is, are you living it? Okay, are you, am I, living out the great commission that God has so clearly given to us? Yes, it wounds before it heals, but it offers hope for sinners, while it offends the self-righteous and religious. The cause of the pressure that we face in sharing our faith should always be, I believe, directly tied to the message that we are sharing and the person that, that, that in a sense, embodies it. 
And so in verse 18 of this chapter, here's what Jesus says. He says, On my account, that is because of me, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. When is that fulfilled? It begins to be fulfilled in the book of Acts chapter 5. The disciples preach the word, they're called to account. Why are they called to account? To get them to shut up about Christ. They pressure them, they intimidate them. They say, didn't we threaten you not to speak anymore in this name? What's their response? We can't help it. We have to speak in this name. It's for us a matter of life and death. It's a matter of obedience. So in this passage that we're going to study this morning, Jesus gives three very simple commands. Verse 17 is the first one. Be on your guard against men. Okay, now he's speaking of people that would boldly oppose the good news of the gospel. He says, be on your guard, be alert, just be aware that this pressure will come against you when you speak up for the truth. That's the first commandment. Second one, verse 19. It says, when they arrest you, do not worry. Okay, so that's the second command in here. Okay, be alert, know that it will happen. When they, when you face pressure, and look, I don't think most of us sitting in this room are worried about getting arrested for sharing our faith. What are we worried about? What are you worried about? Ridicule? Okay. They might not like me. Right? I mean, that, and that's enough to get most of us to what? Not share the glorious gospel of Christ. The last thing he says is a little bit further down the road, verse 26. And I think it's most important. It's where I'm going to focus my attention this morning. He says it in verse 26 down through verse 31 three times. Okay, here's the command. Do not be afraid. Okay? Be aware trouble comes when you share the good news of Christ. It's why most of us are silent about it. Secondly, when pressure comes, don't worry about how you're going to extricate yourself from the problem. God is there. Therefore, what? Do not be afraid. And the idea simply is this. Don't allow the intimidation that comes against you from the evil one to accomplish its purpose. Don't let it cause you to be silent about the truth that matters most. Now, if Jesus says three times here and 22 times in the Gospels as a whole, if he says, friends, do not be afraid, okay? Then I have to say to myself, why does he say that so many times? Why is that repeated over and over? Because it's the most likely response that I have to pressure that comes, to the intimidation that comes from sharing the good news of Christ. We're afraid. We get intimidated. It's, it feels overwhelming. We're trusting in our flesh. We're not sure if we have the ability to accomplish the task successfully. We don't know if we can answer all the questions that people are going to ask. And we can go on and on and on and on with excuses for not doing what God told us to do. In every other area, what do we call it? We call it disobedience. In this area, what do we call it? A lack of giftedness. That's what we do. Somebody else's responsibility. Okay? And I want to I show you from this text how Jesus goes right after this fear that is normal. Okay? So if you're afraid to share the good news of Christ with others, I wanna, here's what I want to tell you. You're just like your pastor. Okay, I know what it is to tolerate disobedience in this area in my life. I want God to crush that rebellion in my heart and cause me to be freed from the fear of people so that I will boldly say, this is what God says. This is the message of Christ for our day, for our generation. And I want to do it by looking through this passage of Scripture and identifying five promises, or if you will, five encouragements that I think will assist us in sharing our faith in Christ. You go back to verse 19. This is the first encouragement that Christ gives us. He says, when they arrest you. Now, the, the presumed circumstance here is you spoke up for Christ. And in the ancient world, Rome reigned supreme. And in Jerusalem, the uh, Jewish hierarchy and power structure was strong and formidable. They're the ones that called for the crucifixion of Christ. Okay, it's in the context of their home the temple complex that Peter and his friends go and proclaim the gospel of truth. When you do that there, you don't get applause. You get opposition. Jesus says when they arrest you, 
don't worry. Okay, Jesus. Okay. And we're saying, oh yeah, it's easy for you to say. Okay, but that's exactly what he did, didn't he? It's what he did. He faced the opposition and said, there, that's how you do it. What you saw me do, go and do that. Okay, so he says, don't worry. And you're saying, yeah, I hear you, but, you know, give me a little bit more. Listen to what he says. Don't worry about what to say or how to say it. Okay, isn't this, seriously, for the average Christian that is committed to living a life that honors and obeys God, you know what most Christians honestly feel, and I believe this is why many Christians are silent about their faith, what if they ask me a question that I can't answer? Right? That, when I talk to people, some people will admit that they're afraid. Most people are unwilling to admit that. Okay, but I say, well, are you concerned that you may not have answers to their questions? Oh, yeah. Well, then you're afraid. You're afraid you won't have the answer to their questions. <laughs> okay, and so, okay, what does Jesus say? He says, don't worry about that. Okay, Jesus, why are you saying that? He says, at that time. Okay, at what time? At the time that you step out in a radical degree of obedience and begin to engage people with the truth that matters most. At that time. Not while you're sitting in your prayer closet waiting for courage to come. And asking for courage to come. No, when you get up out of that prayer closet and you go out on the street and you sit down at lunch with somebody and you say, at that time, God comes alongside. Okay? Can I... Can I suggest that many of us have probably never experienced that kind of power from God, that kind of intervention from God that Jesus promises. Here's what he says. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking. Is that like, that should cause us to go, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to know what to say. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you step out there and obey me and you watch what I do. Okay, you should go home from, a, from an encounter where you've had an opportunity to share the glorious news of Christ saying, I am not that good. I don't. And the more you share your faith, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find God is sending thoughts into your mind by the work of His Spirit to enable you to clearly present the good news of Christ. Okay, and when He does, you're going to say, this is amazing. This is Jesus fulfilling His promise that when I open my mouth to speak, he will fill it with words of truth. And a flood of stories, a flood of biblical accounts will start to come to mind as you begin to communicate the gospel of Christ. He promises to you the word of God and he promises to you the ability. Acts 5 verse 32 that we looked at last week. Here's what Peter says. He says, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. Whom God has given to those who... Obey Him. Folks, that to me is the secret. The Holy Spirit is given to those that do what? Step out in faith and say, God, there are people in my sphere of influence that I've never talked to. We sing a song, Break my heart with what breaks yours. Okay, and when God begins to break your heart, He's going to give you words to share. And when you step out in obedience and say, God, I'm going to trust you, He Peter can say this. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. In 1 Peter 2, Peter, okay, here's what he says. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised. Now, does that like send off a bell in your mind? What happened to Peter? On the night of Christ's crucifixion, what happened to Peter? He was ambushed and surprised. And what happened? He totally collapsed. He denied Christ three times, the last time with oaths, with cursing. Peter says, oh, by the way, let me tell you this. Dear friends, I just love this tone. Don't be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering. Don't let it catch you off guard. As though something strange were happening to you. Why? Because Jesus said, if the master experiences this, the master of the house, then everybody in the house will likely have this experience. Now listen to this. Don't think it's strange Okay, when you enter into a gospel conversation with someone, when you begin to say, okay, God, it's a matter of obedience. It's not a matter of my choice. It's not a matter of gifting. It's just simply telling people like I would tell people that I got married. That child has been born. It's just Jesus died for you and he loves you. 
Peter says, when you do that, don't be surprised if people push back. It's him speaking through you. I don't have to be offended. I don't have to be afraid. What am I doing? I'm just telling them what Jesus told to tell them. And, and, and it's just something beautiful in this cooperative effort. Peter says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, and Peter endured that, he says, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God is resting on you. Folks, you know what silence does? Silence kills the power of the Spirit in our lives. It is an inescapable conclusion from these texts that when we step out into obedience, He gives the Spirit. Now, the disciples already have the Spirit. They received Him on the day of Pentecost, right? So what does this mean? It means that when you step out into the place of obedience, you say, God, I am winging to here. This person is probably going to think I'm crazy. It's what you've been thinking for years. What does God say? God says, go ahead, give it a shot. Give it a shot. See how it goes. The Spirit will come and He will give you the words. The Spirit of glory and of God will rest on you. Not the first time. This is the repeated infilling so that obedience to God becomes possible and powerful. So what's the first thing God will do if you step out and say, okay, God, today is my day. Today, I'm going to commit to you before I leave this place that I'm going to become a follower of Christ in the sense of sharing His truth. Okay? I'm going to step out and do that. Okay? What can you expect? You can expect that as you speak, the Spirit of God will rest on you. That His glory will come on you. That He will, in a fresh way, fill you with opportunities for evangelism. And when He does, He will also fill you with words to share for His glory. And I believe this is a matter of trust above all things. Okay, it's like walking out on the plank and saying, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with obedience in this area of my life. So the first promise that's given in this text is that God himself, by the indwelling spirit, will enable obedience in sharing the gospel. It's a cooperative effort. Secondly, let's look at verse 26. First time Jesus says it, so do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak it in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, powerful thought. That's his guidance in the process of sharing Jesus. Proclaim it from the roofs and do not be afraid. Okay, what's going on here? What is this promise? Nothing hidden that will not be revealed. Nothing. Okay? What does it mean? Okay, here's what I believe it means. I believe, and this text to me is scary, and this text is encouraging. Okay? The scary part is this. There is no part of my life that will not one day be fully exposed. Okay? That's the scary part. The powerful part is this. The truth of the gospel that you are sharing with people will one day be seen as the truth. Okay? Another reason we don't share... If, it, if you knew that people were going to be... Oh, if somebody called you up and said, would you come over and share the gospel with me how I can trust Christ? You know, most of us would say, I hope, as Christians, I hope you wouldn't call me. I would call the pastor. <laughs> I hope you wouldn't do that. I hope you would say, okay, God, I... I don't know what to do in this situation. I remember 20 years ago when my father-in-law called me. His family had been in Christ for 12 years. He had not trusted Christ. And he called up on the phone and said, I'm coming up to see you guys tonight. I want you to share the gospel with me. I was like, you could have knocked me right over. I was like, God, I don't I shared the gospel a number of times before that. In this case, I was like, oh no. Well, I did something that night I've never done. I never did before. I never did it again. I sat down and read through Romans 1 to 3 with him. Just read read through. This is you, this is you, this is you. Knowing that all this is not going to make him happy. Okay? And at the end, it's all I could come up with. I said, you know what? I said, Gramps, at six years old, I understood something that you can't see at 60 years old. And that is that Christ died for your sins. And that he desires to cleanse you from your sin if you place faith in him. The next day, God let that message settle in. Romans 1 to 3. All of us are sinners. God in Christ reconciles rebels to himself through the shed blood of his son. And in that, God is justified. But that's the glory of the gospel. Next day, he prays and trusts Christ. 
I was like, what am I going to say? What if he asks me questions I can't answer? Okay? What if he does? And here's our response. What if they do? They didn't trust God to give me the answer that he wants me to give. Don't walk in fear. There is nothing about the gospel that will be that will remain hidden. And just, just listen to the cadence of this verse. Nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. Nothing hidden that will not be made known. The glorious truth of the gospel will one day be seen for what it is. The truth and the way and the life. Okay? So you say, well, what if I fail? It won't matter. It won't matter. Because one day, the truth, the glorious, full-blown truth of the gospel will become clear. Jesus said this. He said, the day will reveal it. What does this mean? It means that one day justice will come. It means that one day the, the glorious message of the gospel of Christ will be shouted from the rooftops and everyone who is trusted in Him will not be filled with fear that everything is going to be revealed. They will be filled with joy because true, saving, eternal hope is found in Jesus Christ. Now, what does this mean for us practically? Okay, here's what it means. In midst of your fear in sharing the good news of Christ, here's what you need to remember. In the end, God wins. God wins. Now, let me, let me qualify this, okay? This is not that we're to go out and be arrogant and proud and triumphalistic and political. Okay? It should humble you to realize that by grace through faith, God has brought you to the side that wins. And you do not deserve to be there. It is fully and completely owing to the grace of God. What did Jesus says, you go out and you share it. And yes, when you do it, there will be opposition. Here's what I want you to know. In the end, I win. In the end, I win. Folks, you're on the winning side. Here, how does it feel in the midst of the daily experience of it? It feels like I'm losing or it feels like I'm getting dissed, or I'm being set aside, or marginalized in life. That's the part that we don't like, and what do we do? We end up being silent about a truth that one day, it will be proclaimed. This is so, to me, so encouraging. In Revelation 6, this, this desire to see God vindicated and God glorified emerges. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain, listen to this, because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. They call out with a loud voice. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? What are they saying? Lord, when will you declare the absolute truth of the gospel in a way that is, is not defeatable, in a way that will be so clear for all to see? Here's what he says. He says, then each of them was given a white robe I just got to love this picture. What is a white robe? It's a picture of righteousness. They didn't march into heaven with, with religious performance, with, with good efforts and good tries at living a good life. They come in just as they are, sinners. And what does he put over them? A white robe, which is a picture of the blood of Christ. Cleansing and remaking. I think Paul talks about this in Philippians 3. I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes from outside of me and is put upon me. And then here's what he says to them. He says, each of them is given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer. Okay, in the midst of the struggles, what do you need to remember? You need to remember that in the end, God wins. That will help you face the struggles that you experience as a Christian. It also means this. The things that trouble you today can be left in His capable hands. Okay, whatever's bothering you, whatever injustice you're experiencing in your life, in work, in your marriage, in your community, in your neighborhood, whatever it is that ju it just eats at you and you want to go, go take it into your own hands and take action. What is God saying? God's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay? I have it under control. There is nothing concealed that will not be revealed. The glory of Christ will be put above all things. And for the church, God wants us to know a day of truth is coming when everything will be out in the open. Here's the encouragement I would give you. When he says, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight, what is whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the roofs. When God whispers in your ear, talk to that person today. Obey Him. Obey Him. 
and share the good news of Christ with people that so desperately need to hear it. Verse 28. Do not be afraid, second time in this paragraph, of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Okay, now that is a very sobering passage of Scripture. What's it saying? What is God saying? Don't fear those who can kill the body. What does that mean? You know what that means? As I share Christ, and this will sound weird, but it's true, the worst thing I have to fear is what? Death. What does Jesus say? He says, oh, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. What's he saying? In the task of sharing the good news, as the disciples in Matthew 10 are sent out, what is Jesus saying? If you're afraid of people, you will be silent about what matters most. You will be fearing man instead of God. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I have a thought for you. If you're going to fear somebody, shouldn't you fear the one who has ultimate authority? Who can destroy both body and soul? And isn't that the one that should have my obedience, my honor, my respect? What are most of us doing most of the time? We're living in fear of people around us. What is God saying? God's saying, don't fear. Jesus is saying, to us, don't be afraid of them. Just act like they're not there. Okay, don't, don't, let that in, don't let their pressure cause you to become silent and quiet. But it's what we often do. Jesus is saying, the worst thing that they can do is kill you. Paul's response to that is this. For me to live is what? Christ. To die is gain. And that's a weird perspective, right? That's like, who says something like that? That's what that's Paul's perspective. The worst thing that they can do to me is kill me. This perspective does not change the, or, or this truth, I'm sorry, doesn't change the experience of suffering, the experience of rejection. I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't like for people to dislike me. Okay, most of us don't. Jesus is not saying, oh, it doesn't hurt to be disliked. He knows what it's like. He says, I can sympathize with you. I went through that. Betrayed by my closest friends on the night of the cruise. He knows that. He's not saying, oh, just ignore the experience. It's nothing. What does he say? No, have a different perspective. The worst thing they can do to you is kill you. That's the worst thing they can do. But to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. Is that bad? Do you see what he's saying? It's, just a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful argument. So what is the promise? The promise is this. I will rescue you from ultimate trouble. I will rescue you from ultimate trouble. This gave courage to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm sorry, when they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar, didn't it? What did he say? He said, hey, bow down to my idol. We're going to throw you in the fire. What's their response? Oh, oh, I didn't, we didn't know you were going to throw us in the fire. Sure, we'll, we'll get over here and we'll bow down. Is that their response? No, what do they say? Listen to this. He says, the king says, when you hear the sound of all these various kinds of instruments and music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, everything will be fine for you. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown into the blazing furnace. Then what God, here's the question, what God will be able to rescue you from that? Okay, what, is, what does Nebuchadnezzar think? He thinks he's got the biggest bat in the world. I can kill you. Bow down. You know what he expects? He expects that the intimidation will lead to compliance. That's what he expects. Love this answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, respectful? Okay, they're not being arrogant. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Does this sound familiar? Acts 4 and 5, we must obey God rather than man. They say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to save us from it. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than fire. He created it. He controls it. He is able to save us. And He will rescue us out of your hand. What is that? Well, one way or the other. We're going to be with Him under His protection, under His love, under His concern. But even if He does not, we want you to know, O King, that that bat does not scare us. 
we will not bow down to your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now I read that and I say, what is that? What, how, what word do you use to describe that statement? Number one, insanity. Right? Maybe Kenner's just thinking, are you kidding me? No, he's never seen this kind of courage. What is this? Folks, I want to tell you what this is. This is freedom. This is freedom. When what you fear from people, you reckon with it, you say, I'm not denying the experience of that pain. They're not denying it. They're saying, He can deliver us from it. But if He does not, we are still free from your threats. If you're King Nebuchadnezzar, what are you doing? You're like pulling out your hair. What do you do with people like that? You can't intimidate them. They don't buy it. They're free from the fear of death. And, and you, you look at that and you say, okay, this is otherworldly. This is powerful and transformational. Paul would say it this way later. He would say in Romans 8 verse 35, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Right? Can trouble? Can hardship? Can persecution? Can famine? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sword? Which is what? Death? Death. What's Paul saying? That, that won't work. That's going home. That's falling asleep one day to wake up in Christ. Powerful, glorious truth here. They are free. Peter and John are free. Those that walk in Christ and say, God, I'm going to obey you no matter what, are free in their obedience and emboldened by the Spirit of God. This promise says that all suffering and losses are in fact temporary, but the gains are eternal. And so one hymn writer put it this way. He said, it will be worth it all. When? When we see Jesus. All trials will seem to fade when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Now Jesus calls us here to difficult obedience, but then He encourages us with powerful truth. He will give us an ultimate rescue. 29 to 31. Jesus then gives this argument. And this is so beautiful. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Which is one thirty seconds of a day's wages in the ancient world. Okay, isn't a sparrow sold for nothing? It's nothing. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Well, what in the world does that mean? Not one will fall to the ground apart from God's Will. What's another word for God's will? God's plan. Remember what we talked about last week? God doesn't have problems. God has plans. Okay, not one of them will fall to the ground without your father knowing. What is he doing? He's arguing from a lesser. Sparrows that sell for one thirty-second of a day's wage. Okay? Not one of them. Please don't be offended if you're an animal lover. Okay? Not one of them worthless sparrows falls to the ground without God knowing. But folks, I, if that doesn't encourage your heart, nothing will. And you say, well, that's kind of weird. No, what is he saying? Think about the globe that we live on. Think how many birds there are. Not one falls to the ground without, without God saying, got that, got that, got that, got that. What does he mean? He is exhaustively in control of everything. We're afraid of the result of sharing our faith. He's saying, come on, go for it, do it. Nothing happens that's outside of my control. No trouble that you face is outside of the sphere of my control. He exhaustively knows and controls your future. Trust Him. And step out. That's what Jesus is saying. And then He gives this statement, verse 30. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. You read that and you say, who says something like that? And the very hairs of your head. So what did I do? I went on Google and I Googled this. So I'm thinking... I thought I'd never thought. And this text, by the way, is more encouraging to some people than it is to others. Okay? The very hairs of your head are numbered. What does that mean? There are 100,000 to 140,000 hairs on the average head of a person. Okay? I think I'm down to like 70,000. A little bit of cover-up going on here. But I, I'm losing it. Okay? What does that mean? 
What? How do you count someone's head, the hair on their heads? Is God in heaven saying, what's well, what's it mean? He's close enough. It, it's a statement of control and proximity. If a sparrow falls to the ground, God knows. It did not surprise him. And it did not happen apart from his will, his plan, his decree. What does that mean? It means that God's control is unbelievably exhaustive. And his proximity is beautiful. He's near enough. He's hovering to do it. He's counting the hairs on your head. Okay, it's not that he's there. To, no, he, he's, he's that close. Think about that. It just, it, it, it's one of those passages astonishing to me. And it, 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 what is he saying? Okay, look at verse 31. He says, so do not be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. You are more valuable. And it's just what it, arguing from an extreme lesser to an extreme greater. You are supremely valuable to God who purchased you with the blood of His Son. Let that thought encourage you when you face fear. What is the promise? I think this is the promise. He loves you. Eleven years ago, my oldest daughter was going to NYU, New York University Hospital, for back surgery, anterior and posterior. I wasn't looking forward to this. So we tried to drown out the pain the night before by going to see Beauty and the Beast. Which is great, but not very enjoyable the night before an eight-hour surgery. Not really a lot of fun. I was good. I was holding together, like I always do. Oh, I'm doing good. Becca, I'm here. And then you get to that point in the OR area, in the kind of the staging grounds, where... You are with them because you said you would be. And there's those two doors over there that open when a stretcher hits them. And you know that too. And you know when that happens, my capacity to care for you ends. It is limited. I have no say. I have no control over what happens in that room. And you know what that is? That's the utter, complete feeling of helplessness. What is God saying to us here? He's saying, I got you, and I can never leave you nor forsake you. All authority is given to me on heaven, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth. You never get outside the realm of my control, and you never escape my proximity. So he says to us, in the midst of this challenge of communicating the greatest story ever told, draw near to me, and what will I do? I will draw near to you. That's what God says. And those that obey Him, what does He do? He gives them power. Those that obey Him, He gives them words. How awesome is that? And so what is it? It really is a matter of trust. Do I believe that when God says that He loves me more than sparrows, that He does? And that He's close enough to actually count the hairs on it? Do I believe that? Because if I do, it will change everything. You are worth much more. That is a promise that God is giving to us. And in it, He says to us, Do not be afraid. Jesus, after the Great Commission, I want you to think about this. After the Great Commission, He tells me, okay, you guys go out and you share this message. And they're, they're shaking. Why? They know what this means in Jerusalem. It is treason to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in the Roman Empire, it is treason to say that someone other than Caesar is Lord. But what do they do? They count the cost and they say, so be it, God. We will obey you rather than man. We will. And they step out and begin to do that right after the Great Commission. Verse 20, here's what Jesus says to his disciples. And this to me is so, just so awesome. He says, surely I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Which means what? It means that those that live a life of bold sharing of Jesus enjoy the proximity of God more than those who don't. And so I have a choice. Jesus says, I am with you always. What's the context? The context is, go into all the world. And as you go, I want you to know Jesus saying, I am right there with you. I am controlling all the circumstances. I'm in control of your ultimate destiny. Don't be afraid. When you wonder about the words, what am I going to say? Step out and see what God gives you. Step out and trust Him. It's help that comes just at the right moment. 
32 and 33, read this and then we'll close. Whoever acknowledges me before men, Jesus says, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Now that is an amazing statement. I've been in the presence of dignitaries. I remember going to hear uh, President George Bush give a uh, speech over in the Lehigh Valley. He didn't even know I was there. He did not know I was there. Would you, wouldn't you just love that? I'll give a shout out to Tim Hoff. Hi, Tim. Right? <laughs> Think of this. Jesus says, if, and folks, I, I do not want to hide from what I see as an implication of this text. Because it would be easy for me to soften the blow of this text for you and make you feel good about your relationship with God. I will not do that. What does Jesus say? If you own me before men, I will own you. But, if you deny me before men, what? I'll deny you. And folks, I don't know any other way to assess that text than to say this. My desire and willingness to share the gospel is in fact an evidence of my personal relationship with God. I don't see any other way to cut it. I didn't even like it when I saw it, but I think it's inescapable. Those that know Christ, share Christ. Those that know the glory of the cross cannot keep it to themselves. Those that have been washed by the blood of Christ will not go the entire span of their life silent about this message. And I wanted President Bush to say, I know him. I was dreaming. I knew what was going to happen. But because of the cross, one day Jesus Christ will say, I know him. I know her. So I don't know I don't know what else to say to you other than these truths to say you have every reason and every motivation and every encouragement to step out and begin in the adventure that is the true Christian life. The true Christian life involves obedience to Christ, doesn't it? If I said to you, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you know if someone's a Christian? You know what most Christians will say to me? Well, they obey Jesus. Okay then let's put ourselves to the test. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. All of us. So, I give you the encouragement, but I got I got The encouragement comes from a reason. You know why it comes? It comes so that we will overcome our fear, stop being intimidated by the silly fear of man, and step out and say, God, I am available. We just got to get to a point where we realize, you know what, sometimes we're just playing games. We're saying you're a Christian, but you never share your faith. According to this text, you're not a Christian. If you can just, if you can hold it in and never share it, you've got to ask yourself, God, what is my relationship with you? And maybe you've just been wrestling in disobedience. And you're saying, I know, I know, I know, I know. But I'm afraid I may not be able to answer all the questions. Okay, you know what? Answer those questions in light of the text. He'll give you, if you know Jesus, you know enough to share the gospel. You do not have to have a degree. You just have to have the faith of a child and be able to say to your father like I did. At six years old, I understood what this meant. Just the basic elements of the gospel. It's not rocket science, folks. It's understanding that I'm a rebel. That a perfect man died in my place on the cross, took the hit that I deserved, bore the wrath of God for me, shed His blood. His blood, when believed and accepted by faith, cleanses us from all of our sin at the moment of our repentance. That's the gospel. And I could say it to you a number of different ways. You know enough to obey Him. Are you? Am I? It's how God wants to build His church. And when you stand up for truth, when you stand up for Him, he stands for you, and you will have His ultimate approval. Everyone who is in Christ is in Christ because someone obeyed God and His directive to speak the gospel. Mindy Wells is in Christ because a man named Roy Harris, who was a jiu-jitsu instructor in California, 
was a Christian jiu-jitsu instructor and believed that he should obey Christ. Kay Jacobus is in Christ because Jillian Sosnovic thought that God meant what he said when he said, when you go to school as a Christian young lady, share your faith. And Phil and Leslie Satella are in Christ because their daughter Kay believed that God wanted them to share their faith, her faith. And she did. How did that go first, Phil? Yeah. How did it go when she first shared her faith with you? Not well. Good. Thank you for the honest answer. Because I know that story. I remember praying for you guys with her. And because she shared the truth, you guys are in Christ. A young lady named Stephanie Brown, a single mother of two, encountered two girls named Kristen and Caitlin Clefman. And in her words, she said to me, I saw something in them that I had never seen before. And Easter Sunday, she trusted Christ. Why? Because somebody thought that when God said, hey, I want you to do this, that God actually means what he says. Folks, when we come to a place where we look at this text and say, okay, God, I, this is not arguable. I believe you. You make yourself available. Read, if you're scared, read through this text. You should be scared to death. That's what Jesus says. He understands you're going to be afraid. So three times he says, 22 times in the gospel, he says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Why? Because he knows what Corey's like, right? He knows what Tim Hoff is like. He knows what Frank Becker's like. He knows what Marie Care is like. He knows. He reads us like a book. When he says, don't be afraid, I'm like, how do you know? And then he gives his promises. Okay, come on, go, go. And folks, I, let it be that this glorious message, it just builds up as you appreciate it, as you sing about it, as you worship and enjoy God. Let it build to a point where you're like, you know what? This silence is wrong. And at some point becomes sinful. And at some point I have to say, if this is persistent and never breaks, and I never have that joyful desire to say, I have to share this. Then I've got to do the deeper look and ask, have I trusted him? Honestly, have I trusted him? It's my profession. Is it reality that Christ is meant to be shared? Jesus said in verse 8 of this text, freely you have received. Freely. Freely give. Folks, if you paid for the gospel, if you earned it, you keep it for yourself. Okay? That gospel, I will let you have. But if you got it for free, freely you've received, Jesus said. Freely give. God, help us. Help us to walk in obedience and to share the most glorious story ever told. Help us. I pray.